What's up, guys? Welcome to the podcast, Campfire Freedom Fighters. I'm Gizmo. Mad. We're going to talk about some medical stuff today, maybe a little bit of current events. And since I don't really know much about medical, and Mads does, but not very much, we got a guest here, Matt from the Status Quo. Going on, dudes. Well, I don't really know a whole lot either, but I know a thing or two. That's right. I know a little bit more than we do, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's some people that know a lot more than me, too. So. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to go ahead and go rolling straight into some current events. That way we can get on with the important things. Yeah. Cool. So some of the stuff I was looking up this week, I like to get my news from the Drudge Report because it's like, I mean, bullshit from like CNN or AP News or like all the sites, you know, so it's not just Fox News. Yeah, definitely. And, um, so one of the things that might be a little over talked about, but uh, Rand Paul says no war without congressional approval. Yeah, so I saw the, whole, that. the whole Iran situation. I was like, fuck yeah, because I voted for Rand Paul and he wasn't even on the fucking ballot. You know what I mean? That, that was mm-hmm. my guy. Yeah. yeah, he was the best choice. I mean, out of all them dudes that was running. You're not, you're not a Trumpite? Hell no. Dude, here's the thing. <laughs> Dude, fuck, fuck Trump. Uh, here's, the, here's the thing, man, is that a lot of guys kind of saw. Look, I I have two big political issues, or three actually. One is anti-war, no wars, and we need to end the ones we're in. Number two is, and that includes the war on drugs too. Uh, Number two is gun control. No gun control, repeal the NFA, repeal every single on the books. It's all unconstitutional. So those are my two big political issues, right? But, I mean, look at the candidates we got, man. It's They're terrible. So unless somebody's going to be talking some real good game on those two points i don't really give a fuck and Rand Paul, what is tulsi gabbard right now i don't know man here's the thing is that she's, <laughs> she's I, mean, I, I mean honestly i'm a fan like i you know like i said on our political parties podcast i don't really fuck with politics right really you know i don't really give a fuck but I feel like she might be a decent option, you know? I mean, she's like the most anti-war candidate so far, but she's still like a fucking big-ass socialist, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Here's, here's the way I've heard it put, and it sounds best to me. She's the least bad on the most important issue, but Tulsi Gabbard, here's her problem, man, is that she is really – there's two wars, like two major wars going on in the Middle East right now. There's the war for al-Qaeda, right, which is like Yemen – uh, parts of Somalia, the war in Syria, the war in um, not Iraq anymore there because we're fighting on the Shiite side now. So there's that war. And she's good on ending that stuff. But she's all about the war against Al-Qaeda, which is Iraq and Afghanistan. So the problem is yeah. what, and when every single person in D.C. supports war, that ain't good enough. That's not going to get you far because it's just like Trump, man. We're like Trump was saying some good anti-war stuff because it, it plays well. But he doesn't really have any conviction or any principles or any actual kind of, you know, enough spine to actually push that through. So I think if we did get Tulsi Gabbard in there, I think it would probably be just basically the same thing we've got going on now. With Maybe we'd reduce troop numbers in Afghanistan or maybe Iraq. But the thing is, is that, um, you know, there's that part of it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad she's like out there talking and people are hearing what she's got to say. Uh, but then the other flip side of that, too, it's like, well, you know, she's probably going to start a war here. <laughs> so. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. we don't need people fighting and dying 
we're in the fucking Middle East for no good reason. But we damn sure don't have people fighting and dying over here for no good fucking reason either. Right, exactly. I, I really can't even, I can't believe we're even talking about this stuff, man, where we're talking about, you know, like you got that stuff going on in Virginia. I don't know if you guys heard my show I did with Trigger Confucius. Yeah. Um, yeah, bro. That's, oh my God, it's crazy, man. Uh, it's just, they, you know, North, I don't want to step on your guys' toes, but like Northam just put together that, was it $5 million task force to, to seize like rifles? Yeah. And just up the fucking spending for the prisons. That way they can keep people in fucking. Like that's fucking insane, man. They're they're literally passing bills and allocating money to infringe on people's constitutional rights. Absolutely. And what do you think them boys are going to do out in out in Western, not West Virginia, but West Urn Virginia? Them boys ain't giving up their guns, man. They'll run out. No, dude. (laughs) I think they know that. Welcome to the rice fields, motherfucker. I think they know that, man. And I mean, obviously they do. That's why they're spending all this money on the prison stuff and the task force stuff. But it's crazy. Mm-hmm. They they know this and they know that they're going to have to put some of their constituents in jail, but they don't fucking care. No. They're and- going to have to go door to door and do this shit and potentially hurt or kill innocent civilians, but they're okay with that. For what? For trying yeah. the streets safer? That's not how you make streets safer, dude. You can't kill people to make them safe. Nah, bro. It ain't. It ain't actually about safety. That might be the way they try to sell it to people that don't know any better. But the thing is, man, is that two things actually. Number one is that I bet you money. If you look at firearms violence in Virginia, it's in Virginia Beach. It's in Richmond. It's in these big cities, right? It's not out in the. It's not out where the rifles are, right? Where these these boys are, you know, out in rural areas. That's not where those violence is taking place at. Number two is that you know it's about it's about control, and I don't I don't know, man. You guys, you know, you guys are from South Carolina, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, South Carolina. Me and my girlfriend go down there every year for vacation. Fucking love it. We're gonna move down there here actually, probably for too long. But anyway, um, the uh, the thing is that. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but up in, up in here in Ohio, it's kind of a purple state. So there's a lot of, a lot of Democrats, a lot of leftists, that type of thing. And there's just, it's, it's not about like safety or violence. It's, it's, it's like hatred of gun owners as a class. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think mostly what that stems from is that Trump has built such a base on gun owners and people of that, that kind of stereotype Mm-hmm. And that's what the Democrats fucking hate. So they're like, hey, we're going to take your guns. We're going to put your fucking constituents in jail and make them felons so they can't vote for you, motherfucker. Yeah. It's control. At the end of the day, we all know that. It's all about fucking control. It's yep. not about safety. Nah, man. If they really had any interest in safety, they would repeal every single law. There wouldn't be any concealed carry permits. There would be no gun-free zones. It was, people, would be, people would actually have their right to self-defense completely intact. An armed society is a polite society. 100%. <laughs> and that's the other thing too, man, is that, so say, say, you know, God forbid, like you do have to defend yourself and shoot somebody, right? Like, dude, there's no guarantee you're going to get out of it. Like, yeah, you might go to prison for the rest of your life and be totally justified. Yep. Um, and I think about these things It's down, down by you guys in Georgia, man. I can't think of the dude's name off the top of my head. I think it was David, uh, David Gordon, something like that. But he was like a 65-year-old man, right? The police got sent to his, his house. They were actually, they was actually at the wrong address. The police got sent to his house, right? And he heard them like trying to pull up on the garage door. So he grabs his pistol. He goes to check it out. Yeah. They, shoot him, they shoot him dead. Um, 
and yeah, and of course his his widow has been like blocked from suing the city. There's been no charges filed, not, nothing whatsoever. But it's just like, stuff like that, man. It puts a real chilling effect on people being willing to defend themselves. And it's like, okay, so here's the problem: if that is what happens, well, okay, so who's going to defend you then? The government. Yeah. yeah, that's like, man. There was a case with the red flag laws. I can't remember what state it was in, but this guy had his family over and. Like his cousin, uncle, something like that, saw that he was talking about like not liking the government and knew that he had guns and stuff like that. So this guy, the cousin or uncle, whatever it was, goes home, calls the police department, calls in a red flag warrant or whatever the hell you want to call it on this guy that was talking about it. And he's come to his house, of course, and he sees him coming up and he's like, all right, this is fucking it. And the police shoot and fucking kill him. Like, my thing is, is if you thought that this man was violent and you thought that he was going to do something, you didn't stop it yourself. You had to make somebody else go do that for you. That's not right. You can't, I can't tell somebody to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. For sure. I, I think that was uh, Maryland, wasn't it? At Gary Willis. Is that what you're talking yes, about? that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, man. That's exactly right. Yep. And I'm kind of really, I'm honestly kind of surprised that we haven't seen more of that, but I'm also kind of thinking that that's probably not something they're trying to report on a lot. Yeah. That's a media thing. For sure. So here's the thing is that, I mean, obviously the, you know, we have huge problems with the law being used vindictively, you know, like exes, jilted, you know, divorce. how many people, how many people, you know, Mags, I'm sure have been through like a real bitter, terrible divorce, man. And it's like, you know, your ex-wife or your ex-husband could go the way would just do anything to get back at you. That's a huge problem. Um, but the main thing is that it's, it's these laws. And here's the real problem with this type of stuff, man, where these laws start in places like California and Connecticut and, and Massachusetts and stuff like that. And then they, all these bad, bad ideas are contagious, man, like in, in legislature and they spread to the rest of the states. You know what I mean? Cause it worked, dude, where I live, Ohio is like a pretty gun friendly state for the most part, somewhat, but the governor, um, he kicked the idea of the red flag law, but now they've got this other idea. They've got this pink slip law. So basically what it is, is right. The different fucking color. It's the red flag that went through the washer too many times. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing, man, is that, so what they're going to do is that somebody calls the police, says you're a danger to yourself or others. So what they do is they give you a summons. You go to court, right? You have a chance to like kind of talk to the judge at least. And now if they order, you know, you, you've been pink slipped one, number one, they flag you in Nick's. And number two is that they order that you give your firearms to either a family member or the state for a determined number of time. I mean, it's not as bad, but the problem with stuff like that is because it's not as bad, it's less severe. There's like a lower threshold for people being willing to do it. So yeah, man, all and bad. Dude, but even with that, you got to think about the fact that, okay, you've got to go to court for this now. So what are you going to tell your employer? <laughs> right. Well, you know, the government thinks that I can't own guns, so I've got to go to court and defend my right. How the fuck is that going to look to an employer? Like, oh, okay. Well, when you're going to court, go ahead and take your shit and bring it back to your Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great way to derail somebody's fucking life, man. Oh, for sure, man. That's not going to play well. I mean, even just, you know, and getting arrested too, obviously, that's a huge, huge problem. But it's just the fact of the matter is, it's like we can basically make. Uh, the second amendment not apply to individual people. And that's how they get 
confiscation, man, because that's obviously there's not enough cops in this country to actually confiscate guns for everybody and they won't do it to an extent. I, I mean, I think when push comes to shove, they, they will. But the thing is, is that there are enough cops in this country to pick people off one by one by one. And anybody who's got a dissenting opinion, I mean, how we've heard, we've seen mainstream news articles like the New York Times, stuff like that, saying that people that spout conspiracy theories have a mental illness, like, right? And the stuff that you and I talk about on our shows, like that they they think that stuff's conspiracy theory, even though I can show you stacks and stacks and stacks of documents that back all that stuff up, you know? So yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, it is really scary. And the, you know, the thing that sucks is like, it's going to happen. And at the end of the day, if you tell, I believe if you tell a group of police officers, Hey, we've got this known terrorist. He's been talking about, you know, destroying the government and stuff like that. He's a big terroristic threat. You need to go take his guns. That cost him like, fuck dude, I'm taking out terrorists. He's going to grab all of his buddies. He's going to have no problem taking your guns. Oh, for sure, man. And I'm sure that the federal government will be plenty generous. They'll, you know, they do this thing right now with the drug war, where the more the more drug seizures and arrest cops make, the more the more tactical gear and stuff they get. I mean, our local sheriff's department has an MRAP. That's a more heavily armored vehicle well, than I. Yeah, yeah, we've got road. a fucking uh, LAV parked in a fucking police department right LAV and an MRAP. Yeah, dude, right down the road from my fucking house. That's a more heavily armored vehicle than I patrolled. For sure. But that's a more heavily armored vehicle than I patrolled the streets of Baghdad in 2007. That's all Jesus. I'm going to say. Yeah, dude. <laughs> that's fucking <laughs> Right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And it's just so I can certainly see, like, you know, you get some people that are really serious about gun control in power. I mean, more serious because they're all serious about it, but more serious than the usual. If you get some people that are real serious about that in power, then you've just given them all these tools. Look, we have massive surveillance. Dude, I was listening to a podcast the other day. It was uh, Mike Maher. You guys ever listened to the Corbett, the Corbett report? No, nope. You got to check him out. He's got some, he's got some real good shit. Dude's like super smart. Like I have to literally listen to the show with a dictionary in my hand. Uh, just to look up words he says, <laughs> but I have to do that for my own show. Yeah. Oh man. But, um, no, nah, so he's talking about, uh, Michael Meharry from the 10th amendment center. Who's real good dude. Uh, 10th amendment Syracuse. I do a lot of good work, but th- he was talking about, okay, so we have, um, facial recognition software that we're starting to see in surveillance networks. Right. And, oh. um, there's like no limits on it. They can basically, they can collect your facial identity and basically follow you wherever you go. So they have, let me say next place, next place they have a gun show, right? Or something like that. And they have cameras with facial recognition outside the gun show. Cause these places, you know, gun shows, a lot of times they're held in like public buildings, like community centers or, you know, or, you know, a sports complex or whatever. So they have facial recognition, right? Now they've collected the identity of every single person that went to that gun show and before too long combine that with license plate readers. And now you have a registry full of gunners. I mean, you know, I think we pretty much know they have, yeah, I think we pretty much know that they have a registry anyway. I don't think that's really <laughs> yeah. too crazy of a thing to think, but it's just, uh, 
yeah, combine that technology with the fact that now you have, um, they can totally, with all the money that they steal from us, they could create programs. So it's like, oh yeah, the more guns you seize, the more tactical gear we'll give you, you know, you know, the more grants that you can go buy MRAPs and, you know, cast off IOTVs and, you know, 50 cows and saws and you know, who knows what else, drones. That's, that's another big one too, dude, is drones, man. Um, crazy. So <laughs> the bottom line here is like, yeah, man, I don't know. We have to do something, but I don't know what yet. Get prepared with medical shit. That's what we got to do. Yes, especially yeah, treating gunshot more current events that I like want to hit on. So, yeah, sure. so there was a claim that, well, there was a story that this guy stabbed himself and claimed someone else stabbed him. Like flying, and this, this, I know it's funny as fuck, right? But this is this is Big Brother at work. I thought this was just pretty interesting. So. The suspect's Apple Watch, the suspect's Apple Watch, here I go Tourette's again, was uh, used to prove he was lying in the stabbing case. Uh, so they could go back into the Apple Watch and see where his heart rate changed before and after the stabbing occurred. Dude. So we, we really, like, we were talking about big, like, big Brother a minute ago with, like, facial surveillance. And you just have these watches that you think are so cool that can text and call people it's so much more convenient, but really the government is just they can use that shit against you. you using your own fucking product against you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And here's the real problem with that type of stuff. So we have Monica Perez talks about it's the private public partnership, right? Mm-hmm. So basically government gives grants and special privileges and regulatory treatment to these big tech companies that pretty much all have monopolies, man. You look at all the major tech companies except for maybe Apple, they've all gotten this special treatment, right? Um, in Qtel, you know, which is like the CIA's venture capital, it's pretty well known that they funded Google and Sergey, Sergey Brin at the beginning. So anyway, things like Twitter and Facebook and whatnot have basically become the digital public square, right? This is where people talk and communicate and hang out and whatnot. Okay, well, here's the thing is that because the tech companies, essentially, when you sign that user agreement, you basically give them full control over all of your data. And the government doesn't really need a search warrant if the company is willing to work with them. So essentially what they've done is that by having these things done in a, by a quote-unquote private company, it's not really private. I mean, look, I think if you get subsidies or, or money like that, I think you're part of the government, honestly. But yeah, I mean, you're bought and paid for by the government, at least in part. For sure. So here's the problem, though, is that they're able, as long as the company is willing to work with the government, the government can get whatever type of data they want off of them. And so now we've they we've created a process where they can get they can basically search your personal effects, your papers of the 21st century without a warrant, without a judge, without any type of legal structure whatsoever. And essentially what they've created is an end run around the Constitution. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's essentially what it sounds like. Yeah. And, you know, if you would have told George Orwell in the 50s when he was writing 1984 that people would wear a device that could communicate biometric data to the police, he would have told you, that's crazy, man. I'm trying to write a serious book here. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, I've got oh, one more. Save the best for last before we go on to this whole medical shit show. <laughs> 16 cats, like fucking meow-haired felines, right? 16 cats sue the county. And I think this is in North Carolina. So 16 cats sued the county for civil rights violations. 
The owner said they were not given due process when the county picked them up to take them to the pound. <laughs> I just thought that was yeah. fucking hilarious. As long I mean, cats are we the people too, man. That's, oh, that's uh, crazy. I was saying that this, this cat owner is suing for civil rights on their fucking pet. Well, it's crazy yeah. that everybody's suing everybody for every fucking thing they can. And really separate subjects. True too. I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ! I want to see this old boomer work for me in a fucking idiot. Okay, boomer. Yeah, I got a, I got a couple I'd like to do too. Actually, oh, this dude is a hundred percent like a Trumpite neocon. Oh hell yeah! Absolutely disgust. Like it is disgusting. It makes me fucking sick. Like early mm-hmm. work, he was like, "Man, Trump did that that good thing." What the fuck do you mean he did the good thing? Like I don't. You know, I'm getting all that shit with people. He's like, oh, he killed that fucking, that fucking terrorist leader over in Iraq area, and now it's all a better place. And I was like, was it Iraq or Iran? He was like, um, well, they actually said it might have been more near Syria. And I said, you're a fucking idiot. Oh, man. And I guess, I guess at least he named three contiguous countries. So that's better than most yeah. people can do. Yeah. You know, I was at work the other day, and my boss was talking about the the good thing that he did in Iraq. And um, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? First off, it was Iran. But he was talking about how um, the place that he was in is just a desert and all this kind of shit. I'm like, no, the fuck it's not. That is a city. That is a big-ass city. Like, nice woods and all kinds of shit. Like, There's two giant rivers that meet there. Yeah. Not a desert. It's like, yeah. I was like, that's you're you have no idea what the place even looks like geographically. like a basic understanding of what the fuck it is yet somehow you have an educated opinion about it right that's also this guy also told me today and then we can move on but uh we were talking about like gun rights and shit Mm -hmm. said well trump's here for our guns and we have to be thankful for trump and the nra or our shit would almost be gone by now and i said you realize that trump has done more harm to guns and the second amendment than obama did in his whole eight-year term right yeah not fucking true that fucking muslim fuck and i was like i'm not <laughs> I, I can't do this anymore yeah like, how fucked up are you at at that point it's just pointless man i oh, got yeah, yeah. so indoctrinated like it's, mm-hmm. it's over i work with a couple dudes that are kind of the same way man and i'll drop little hints every now and then but the hilarious thing is um they don't know what to do with me Right, yeah. Because there's there's only I think maybe two or three vets that work with me. Um, one of them one of them is like a, a war on terror generation vet, my buddy, and then the other couple of them were like quote unquote peacetime vets. <clears throat> so I'll be they'll talk they'll they'll be talking about foreign policy and stuff like, and I'll I'll start talking some anti war shit, and it's like they just they just shut up. They don't say anything back to me because it's like they don't know what to think. Like yeah. They've never encountered a veteran that has an anti-war opinion before. And they're just like, wait, I thought you were supposed to like be all rah-rah to go over there and fight for your country. And I just, I'm scared now. I don't know what to do. Oh yeah. So, like, <laughs> I just like, the, I, my, my basic thing is just to watch the world turn. Like when I deal with people like that, mm-hmm. set it the fuck ablaze and watch them melt. I just like to watch their brains lock up. <laughs> Satisfying yes. thing ever, pissing boomers off and shit. Like, oh yeah, the way to say shit to this guy sometimes just to fucking watch his wheels turn. 
because he's so fucking ignorant and almost illiterate as well. <laughs> if you support Trump, you're illiterate. That's like, that's what we're, that's the lines we're drawing here. That's a hot take, oh, man. Fundamentally, most of them, I guess you could say, functionally illiterate. For politically, politically illiterate, that's for sure. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, just, well, medical stuff. Med- yeah, medical shit. All so right, let's get it. You got anything first? Before we yeah, dude, I got a lot of shit. I got my whole little handy notepad here. You know what I mean? Um, Let's get it. So, obviously, I know about these things, but like I said earlier at the beginning, this is for people that don't. This is maybe for, you know, Gizmo or something. <clears throat> Procedures for treating a casualty in combat. Now, we're going to start out with, like, combat medicine and things like that. Uh, so, we're okay. the, standard, the standard operating procedures for treating casualty in combat, as in you immediately move them to cover and treat, or do you lay suppressive fire and work around it? Well, that's entirely, de- I hate to get the cop out answer here, but that's entirely dependent on the situation. It's entirely dependent on the terrain, what kind of fire, like what kind of resistance you're facing, your troop strength, like all these things. So basically what we use in the military is called, and I'll, we'll break it all the way down. It's called tactical combat casualty care. And there's three phases in it, right? What you have is the first one, care under fire. Second one is tactical field care. And this third one is what's called a tactical evacuation, right? So each of these different phases has different medical procedures associated with it. But the first things first, the best preventative medicine is fire superiority. So here's the thing. If you're the medic on your team, if you get shot, you can't treat anybody else. And the problem with that is that the person that already got shot is not getting treated. I mean, yeah, sure, we got combat lifesavers, but, like, I'm the guy, right? So your job as a medic, as counterintuitive as it might seem from the movies, is to not get shot. You don't run out into firing lanes where, you know, like there's an emplaced machine gun just just laying hate down the street. No, you, you have to suppress that position first before you do anything else because if you got shot – not only are you no good to anybody else, but now somebody has to treat you. You're tying up medical assets. Like let's say you get shot, you know, you got a sucking chest wound. Now, you, you know, you need a medevac. So the guy's got to call in a nine line for you and for the person that got shot. So yeah, best, best thing you can do for your team is to stay alive and not get hurt. Um, you know, as, as, as shitty as that may be, that's your first priority, unfortunately. And as far as, I don't know how far you want me to take this, but maybe we could do, maybe we could talk about care under fire first. If you have an interest, you want to do that? Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. I'm just riffing off of what I got written down. So. Okay. Well, so we'll talk a little bit about that first. Okay. So the first phase of tactical, tactical combat casualty care is, is this new protocol because back in the day, like when I very first, uh, join the army like this was a fairly new thing still because before that they were basically using this other medical protocol that was from the civilian world that's called atls and that stands for advanced trauma life support and basically that's this whole other protocol of medical procedures to do and what kind of interventions you can do and so on and so forth and here's the thing is that the death rate in um america's wars has been pretty constant throughout history it's usually been um I think, what is it? About 10%. I can't remember the exact number, but I do know it's pretty, it's pretty constant. But 
with these global war on terror wars, which is the first wars where we've, where we've had TCCC, and some people call it, call it TC3, it's the same thing. The first wars where we've had tactical combat casualty care, the death rate's gone down to like a fraction of a percent. I mean, it's really incredible. So that's, um, that's the biggest difference is the, the, the military changed the way they did a lot of things. And as a result, there's a lot more people alive today that wouldn't have been even just a few years ago. And the other thing too is that medical technology has gotten so advanced. Uh, the the guys on the FSTs, like the forward surgical teams, and the guys in the caches, which is the combat support hospital, um, surgeons there. I mean, they're they are saving people that have had like triple traumatic amputations, like penetrating chest trauma, like stuff that meant just meant for sure you were a goner in years before. So it is really incredible. But anyway, this all starts with the medic, right? And really, actually, technically, it starts with buddy aid or the combat lifesaver. Because in the army, I'm I'm sure the marines probably have something similar, mags. But in the army, we have combat lifesavers, right? So where there's at least one guy in every team that has like additional medical training on top of what you get in basic. You guys have something similar, I'm assuming. Yeah, we had combat lifesaver too. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's the yeah, same thing. Had so. to do tourniquets and like all that mm-hmm. good shit. So. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I used to teach the classes. That was part of my duties. Some so, some people. Um, I guess it was designated, like you said, like certain individuals. But there were, you got to know, like the whole decompression stuff and like, but we all learned sucking chest wound. Uh, yeah. Sweet. So, yeah, I mean, in the Army, the only difference is, is that the designated combat lifesaver has a few additional medical supplies they'll carry. You know, they have like a little mini eight bag, basically. So anyway, when we first get a casualty we're into that care under as long as we're getting shot at we're in that care under fire phase so that means the interventions that we'll do is very limited and like i said the best preventive medicine is fire superiority so the first priority is to suppress anybody shooting at you eliminate neutralize the threat once that threat is stopped then you know more definitive care can begin but if possible if you can reach casualty Basically, the only thing you're going to do for extremity bleeding, like if somebody gets shot in the leg, the first thing we're going to do is apply a tourniquet. We put it on what's called high and tight, right? So we put it on far up the extremity, over the clothes. Now, of course, if it's a leg, you got to make sure that like if they've got a drop holster or some pouches or something like that, it's out of the way. But we put that tourniquet on high and tight over the clothes. And then we really don't do much of anything else until you know that threat is stopped. And once that threat is stopped, we, we begin what's called tactical field care. And this is where we do basically the first thing you're going to do in this phase is what's called your primary survey, right? So you're going to do a head to toe assessment. You're going any, any visible wounds you can see, you're going to cut clothing off right there. You're going to assess to extend the wounds. Cause some, you know, here's the thing guys, I'm, you know, I'm sure you know this mags, but like bullets do some weird stuff in human bodies. And so do blast fragments. I mean, you might get shot in the front, like in the thigh and have an exit wound up near your spine. I mean, it's entirely possible. And one thing we always do too, we check, we do head to toe assessment. We check the back, we pull off the vest, you know, we cut your clothes off, make sure. I mean, obviously like you have to make sure you can cover this person back up because anytime you have a bleeding uh, casualty, they're at a severe risk of hypothermia, um, you know, from shock, what's called hypovolemic shock from blood loss. And, uh, hypothermia is part of what's called the lethal triad, which is hypothermia, acidosis, and coagulopathy. And basically, these three things are what is the actual mechanism of death for people that exsanguinate. 
AKA bleeding. I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to try to not to beat you over the head with too much medical tech no, technology. Man. That's, what, hey, that's what this is for, man. <laughs> so, okay. So we can talk about this maybe just a quick second, and then we'll get back on, back on target here. So basically what happens is when somebody is bleeding, there's, and I can't explain it to you because I'm not a freaking doctor, man, but there's all these processes that happen. And one is that when your, your body, like when you're bleeding, your body knows it. So you'll have what's called vasoconstriction. Basically all the blood vessels in your body will tighten up and that's to try to stop blood from leaving where it's supposed to be, which is in your body. So that causes your extremity temperature to drop and will also cause your core temperature to drop along with several other things. And this causes hypothermia. And the problem is that, you know, your body has, has like a narrow range of temperatures it can be at to work properly. And when you're really cold, when you have hypothermia, um, your blood doesn't clot as well. And this is what is called coagulopathy. And it's, it's like whatever clotting ability that your body has when you're, when you're cold, you start to lose it and then you'll bleed out more quickly, which makes you more cold. And it's basically, it's a, it's a vicious cycle. All three of these things feed into each other. So that's why in TCCC, your first priority is to stop the bleeding. They beat this into our heads. Every single one of us, they beat this into our heads. Your first job is to stop the bleeding. And back in the day, like when my dad was, you know, in the military, the thing was that they had was, they were like scared of tourniquets almost. It was almost like, oh, you know, if you put a tourniquet on, you're going to lose a limb and you get gangrene. And, you, you know, if you have it on longer than five minutes. So they didn't use them nearly as much. It's a pretty new thing, actually. People don't realize this, but tourniquet use, like heavy tourniquet use is a pretty new thing in the U.S. military. It's only been this like this for about, yeah, about 25 years or so. So what we found, though, is with tourniquet use is that we've, we've drastically reduced the death rate. And you know, if you think, this whole war thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you think about like the signature injuries of Iraq and Afghanistan, it's IEDs, and a lot of times, you know, that comes with traumatic amputation. Guys get their legs blown off, get their arms blown off. They, you know, they have massive chunks of flesh missing, and these are all really heavily bleeding wounds. So tourniquet used to save a lot of people's lives that would have been dead just even a few years ago. So anyway. The thing that to get back to our subject here, when you're doing your primary assessment, you know, like you're, you know, you're checking for extra wounds, make sure you didn't miss anything because, you know, believe it or not, it's very easy to miss additional wounds. I mean, guys, like I've heard, you know, our senior medic tell a story like, yeah, you know, we had a guy that got hit in the leg and we looked under where, you know, we, we were treating him and then he just kind of had a puddle of blood on him. We thought, man, that was weird. So they rolled him over and he had an exit wound in his back. And we're like, oh, fuck, like we missed that. Uh, now what? <laughs> so this type of thing, like you always check the back. That was kind of the moral of that story. So you want to do a full head to toe assessment, right? So when and, you're doing that head to toe assessment, are you like, I mean, obviously you cut their fucking pants off of them, but if you're wearing body armor, that seems like that would get pretty fucking strenuous trying to, do you take well, that off? Do you just kind of, that? There's a quick release on the newer vests, IITBs. It's these two cables, and you just pop it, and the whole thing just whoosh. It's almost like those stripper pants where they just rip them off. I mean, <laughs> the, whole, yeah. the whole thing falls off into pieces. And I remember the very first day I put that vest on, our drill sergeant walked up to all of us and pulled that release, and the whole thing just, just drops off of you. And he's like, all right, now put it back together. And you're just sitting there like, Ugh. 
I don't know how to do this. Help me. <laughs> then you get fucking yelled at and smoked for a half hour because you don't know anything what you're doing. And yeah, it's a good time. So anyway, so when, when you do this assessment, like, yeah, you're going to remove the, you're going to remove the body armor. And I mean, it's all patient dependent, of course. I mean, like if you see something like real clear, that's like a lower, lower extremity wound that you can see a clear entry and exit, like, okay, sure. Like that's a different story. But most of the time, if you have any concerns, you're going to remove it. Um, and of course all this stuff goes with you too, you know, the, the soldier's weapon, their armor, any sensitive items might be carrying night vision and so on and so forth. Like you have to account for that stuff too. So anyway, after you've done your assessment, you've identified all the wounds that you need to treat, then you move on to what's called tactical field care. And this is what we do. Um, you know, you're going to check on that first tourniquet you applied. Uh, and of course, like when you apply a tourniquet, like here's the thing is that there's a bazillion different tourniquets out in the market now um, that, you know, you can buy as a civilian. There's the cat, which is the one we use in the military combat application tourniquet. So it's got the little twisty turny thing on the top of it. Yep. Real common. There's the soft T, which is really good. There's a SWAT T. There's the Sam XT. There's all these different kinds. Um, one thing pro tip here, piece of value for your listeners. Uh, I really, I don't like government. <laughs> That's the tip. Fair enough. Yep. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I, I, I think it shouldn't exist. <laughs> But here's the thing is that the, the, the committee on TCCC has done actually spent a lot of our money. Uh, I'm sure on steak dinners and lobster, but they've also spent a lot of our money on uh, research for tourniquets and they have an approved list. And I would be very wary of knockoffs and I would make sure that I get an approved tourniquet on this list. And here's what I'll tell you why is that um, in Gaza right now, like they have a humongous medical corps because so many people get fucking shot and fucked up by the Israelis. Um, but the thing is, <laughs> I mean, real, real shit. But here, the thing is, is that they've actually gotten very um, good at improvising and making things work that you wouldn't normally think of. Shit, sorry. Uh, so what they've done is they've actually 3D printed tourniquets. And fuck, isn't that baller? Oh, well, shit. Well, here's the problem is the first time they went to go field them, like half of them broke. Because what you got to think about. That's not fucking good. Fuck no, it's not. There's a, ton, <laughs> there's a ton of tension on that tourniquet, man, when it's tight. I mean, it's like you're really cranking on it. It hurts, dude. Um, it's it, supposed yes. to yeah. yeah, absolutely, it hurts. Oh, yeah, it's supposed to, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it still sucks. But um, so anyway, yeah, they were, they were breaking. So that, the, the point I'm making here is that like, make sure you get one that is approved uh, by by T Triple C, you know, I'm not usually big on government regulation and approval, but this one I do definitely believe in because just you know the amount of the amount of resources that have gone into it and and the fact that we have verifiable results. So anyway, my me personally, I like the cat and I like the I like the soft T too, but the one thing is that if you're out here in the civilian world, um, these tourniquets they're designed for men. They're designed for healthy adult men, you know, guys in the military, people that have like bigger arms, bigger legs, like you know, full size grown adults. They don't work very well on children or the elderly. And that's where that SWAT T comes in that stretch wrap and tuck because the SWAT T basically it's like the big kind of stretchy ones and you wrap it around and tuck it and you can use those on people that have smaller limbs. So that's, a, that's a, you know, an idea for you. Like I have, I have an A bag I carry with me everywhere and I have, I have a SWAT T and two cats in it, you know, just for that reason. So anyway, um, where were we here? Oh, uh, 
Oh yeah. So when you apply a tourniquet, we can get that too if you want, man. But basically when you're applying that tourniquet, you want to check for a radial pulse, right? So you want to make sure when that tourniquet's applied, the extremity, like the end of it does not have a pulse. If like you can feel one, like if you can feel a radial pulse or a pulse that's like on the ankle, it's not tight enough. Um, and you might, sometimes you need to use two, depending on where the bleeding is coming from. It depends. Like you can't compress every vein that's called converting a tourniquet. It's done a little, little later. So anyway, that's just, you know, one tip of a thousand that, you know, comes with tourniquet application. So I want so, to ask if, if you don't put a tourniquet on tight enough and you still feel a radial pulse, unfucking do it and redo it. Or do you put on another tourniquet? You put on another one. You never should. Okay. Yes. Generally you should never undo a tourniquet. I mean, there are very few exceptions, but once it's been on for any length of time, it needs to stay on until you get to a higher sure. echelon of toxicity and shit. Like yes. That. Yeah, ex exactly. Right. <clears throat> and also, you know, you have the other possibility, internal bleeding, you know, some, some certain things you can't see that tourniquet might be stopping. So it's best just to leave it on because it's not going to hurt anything to use to. Um, you know, so that's... So as far as tourniquets, I know that you mentioned the, the SWAT and the cat and all. Mm -hmm. one thing that you didn't mention and i feel like there's a reason behind that is the rats tourniquet and i know pretty much everybody hates them what's your opinion on a rat's tourniquet if you know? i don't really have a lot of dealing with them so i really don't want to say, i don't really don't want to have an opinion i mean i've just never had to really dick with them it's just not not something i've used i've always stuck with the cats as much as i possibly can because that's what i know that's what i learned and i know it works so that's my big thing. Um, I'm going to go back. I want to go back and kind of talk about assessing the situation in the patient. Sure. Um, and the, you know, stop the bleeding. So in the brain core, like they beat it in our heads to stop the bleeding, start the breathing. Like mm -hmm. that was just fucking hundred percent all the time. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is the best way to, for, pra for practical application, but the way that we would do it and the way that we train to do tourniquets is we would all, you know, you would hold your arms up like it was fake rifles or whatever, and you have guys set security. And then like they would select you, you know, or whoever, like you could be posting security and they could come tech and show and be like, go fucking assess this guy. And you have a dude laying there. And what they would do is they would take tape and they'd take little pieces of tape and they would put them at different spots on their camis or whatever. Red tape. Red tape, white tape, yeah. you know, whatever. And they would be like, you know, fucking take the or whatever you need and place it where it goes. So I would see guys time and time again, they would go to put it, you know, high up on the leg. And whoever was given the class would fucking slap you in the head and be like, why the fuck are you just putting the tourniquet on? You haven't even flipped him over to take a look at anywhere else. Right. You're just going to put the tourniquet on him and just let him fucking bleed out and die from somewhere else. And you, you know, a lot of times, especially if you were a new boot, you'd be like, oh, oh I'm, you know, you don't, you don't fucking know anything. Right. You would get in this point, they would like make you lay the fuck down and like, like you were in a combat situation and grab the guy, flip him over, rub your hands up and down his back, look at him, turn him over, do whatever the fuck you had to do. But, and oftentimes there would be like, I remember one specific situation like that I was doing for Prakap is it was like right on the inside of his thigh. You know, oh, and, and guinal. Yeah. And there, there's like a main artery right there. Yeah, your femoral artery. Well, I go to, I, I put the tourniquet on and then I go to assess and I don't see anything. Uh-huh. Like the, uh, I think it was a staff sergeant. I can't remember. He was like, are you sure you don't see the exit? 
I've been in for like four years at this point, so I know to be looking. I was like, fuck, like I, I don't ever miss this shit. And it was at the top of his shoulder, like right below the pitch in the canvas. Can't even see it. And he was like, when I was in Afghanistan, he's like, he's like one of my fresh fucking PFCs got in the thigh right there and it came out of his shoulder. We couldn't find it and he died. I was about to say that's a that's a very, very high uh, fatality injury, what we call axillary and inguinal bleeds. Yeah. I actually, I was going to get to that um, for sure, but yeah, let's do it now. So, okay. So there's, yeah, two things about that. You know, he's absolutely right. Number one, everything you said. Number two is that um, there's like the military, we have what's called a junctional tourniquet, which I don't think, I don't think the combat lifesavers use them still. Uh, they used to not, I heard something they were going to start carrying them because the thing is that we've gotten so good at controlling and extremity bleeding. There's basically two things now that are probably going to kill you. If you, if you don't die instantly, that is, if like you're a survive, if you have a survivable injury, there's probably one of two things that's going to kill you. Number one is what we call that junctional bleeding. And number two is uh, penetrating chest trauma. So any type of any type of thoracic injury, like chest injury, it's typically very hard for us to do much about it because you, what it's it's what's called a non-compressible chest trauma. And that basically means it's a bleeding in a spot. You can't put a tourniquet on it. You can't put direct pressure on it. You can't pack the wound. There's really just not much you can do. So and then people get you know hem- a hemothorax from that, which basically it means like that's blood collecting in the chest cavity, which is different from attention pneumothorax, which is something they they taught you guys to treat. Um, but you know, that's something that needs a chest tube. Chest tube is very difficult to do out in the field. That's a, you know, that's a little more complicated procedure than just doing a, basically a needle decompression. So yeah, that's like the big thing we have. Essentially there's two tools we use in the military. One is what's called a, a junctional tourniquet, which basically puts like pressure down, like on like the, that, that spot where your femoral artery is, or, you know, femoral vein or whatever is bleeding. Um, and the other thing we use was called a pelvic binder, which basically like a lot of times when you have an injury like that, especially if it's a blast injury, guys will get pelvic fractures. Pelvic fractures are very, very, very dangerous. Uh, number one, you know, you have paralysis issues because of the nerves that are floating around in there. And number two is that like a broken piece of bone, there's not, if you, if you look at like your anatomy, once you have like muscle and stuff factored in, all your major veins and nerves and stuff, they really, most of them run through just like a tiny little spot it down through to your leg. And if you have broken pieces of bone floating around in there, they could very easily puncture an artery or a vein. It's the same thing when you have a femoral fracture. That's why we use what's called a traction splint. We use a traction splint because a femur fracture is very dangerous because you can have a piece of the bone puncture that artery. And if that happens, you are fucked. So that's, that's really the the main thing. There's also like, I, I was going to bring my A-bag up with me, man, because I want to show you guys a couple of things. Fuck, I forgot it. So, I don't know. Uh, you guys know the Irwin, like the bar clamps? You know, they have like the squeezy thing, and they there's like a bar that – here, I'm going to pull the picture. Yeah. I'm gonna, so, basically, this is like a tool. Like, junctional tourniquets are like fucking $200 or something like that. But you can buy one of these at Home Depot, and you can use it for those types of bleeding. Um, because you can you can use it. There's there's pressure points all over the body where you can push down, and actually occlude so you can close off a vein or an artery there, and you can use this quick clamp to do that. It's not perfect, but it is functional. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. Where are 
I think I know what you're talking about. It's like a, it's kind of like a C clamp, but it has like a ratchet handle. It's, yeah, it's bigger. Now, obviously, the one, the size of the one you're going to get is going to have to be a lot bigger. But basically, like that's what it looks like right there. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, yeah. You have or to get one. a couple of them and shit. Like that. I use it for like woodwork and shit together when you're gluing it and shit. Like exactly. That. Yeah. That's something I would have never thought of putting like a big ass medical bag. That's something I would have never thought of putting in there. Our our senior yeah. medic. Our senior medic taught that Todd Satrick. He was he was real big on MacGyver and stuff, getting to work. Um, he he built a buddy transfusion kit out of a whole bunch of spare crap we had laying around. Man, that was like his big thing. It was he was an interesting cat. I'll <laughs> say that much. He was a super he was super anal dude to work for. He was real real stickler about policy and stuff like that. But I mean, he was smart. He knew what he was doing. So. Anyway, like that's the two big things, pelvic fractures and uh, junctional bleeds. Like that stuff, it's just hard to deal with. Um, we have like other interventions now that we used to not. One of them is called a transexemic acid. This wasn't around when I was in. It's a really, really, like a really, really new thing, like the last couple of years. Um, TXA, basically, it helps your body. It's a drug that helps your body clot its own blood faster. They're starting to introduce that. I don't think the medics are using it quite yet. I think it's mostly like, you know, forward surgical teams and like kind of like what we call roll two. So like the next higher level of care that's that guys are getting in the military. So as far as like blood clotting agents, I know there's two kinds of galls. There's just the regular galls and then there's like hemostatic galls. Mm -hmm. There's something that I saw the other day and like I'm real big into backpacking and stuff like that. And of course, mm -hmm. You want to have a medical kit when you do shit like that. Cause you're in the yeah. woods and you know, they had, it's like basically hemostatic agent that was in powder form. that was just in a bag. Mm -hmm. That's something that you would recommend going in the fucking medical kit or no. I don't like that stuff for a number of reasons. Um, it, it depends. There's, there's a couple different kinds. There's one that we call like original, just quick clot, which is what the military used forever, forever, forever. Um, and then we have what's this newer stuff called Celox, which is a little different. Celox, I like; it's okay, um, but basically, it's 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 like what's it what's it made up out of really matters. Uh, for uh, quick clot, it was originally like you know crustacean cells and stuff like that, and like there's a couple problems with that. You know, like one number one, it burns like hell. Um, number two, if you get it in your eyes, you're gonna be a mad motherfucker because that shit like basically will set your eyeball on fire. I mean, it's it's pretty ugly, man. I've seen it happen before. Uh, and number three is that it's really difficult to get it out of the wound. So whoever's, whoever's working on that person after you pass them off is going to be cussing you quite a bit. Yeah. So, I mean, look, man, if, if it's your only option and you can, there's a chance you can use it to save somebody's life. Yeah, do it. I'm not saying don't do it at all, but I'm saying that we've got so many better options now. Um, Celox is a little better because it's a newer formulation. It's uh, not nearly, it sticks, it clots really well, but like people, like you can blast it off with like water. You can like basically wash it off. Like when you go to irrigate the wound. So it, it's okay. Um, the, but the impregnated gauze I think is absolutely fantastic. Like if I, if you're going to use hemostatic agents, that would be the kind I would want you to use. Um, you can pack a wound with that type of gauze fairly easily and it does a real good job of sealing it up at least as much as possible um and then of course you also have pressure dressings too which is a separate type of gauze which is you know the same same type of deal but construction is a little different and it's not really designed for packing wounds quite as much so yeah i mean we you know hemostatic gauze 
I like it. There's a new uh, Sam Medical, which is like they make really nice stuff, man. I like a lot of what Sam's product, but they have this, they have this new um, hemostatic gauze like that that I bought. It's called Sam. So uh, Kaido Sam, Kaido Sam is what it's called. And I bought a couple packages of it because I thought it was cool and it was cheap. I was gonna check it out, but then I realized like, well, how the fuck am I gonna test it? So like, maybe like. <laughs> I'm going to stab myself or something and see if Yeah, dude, just go in the kitchen, get you a knife, and, you know, take one for the team, man. You got to be a man sometimes. Don't be a bitch. You got to be a man sometimes. <laughs> I'm going to have to film that, though, man, put it on the website. Exactly. That's great content. Just man. put it That's in a group content. channel. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can make fun of me being fucking All those fucking savages. <laughs> um, I think we need to kind of talk about some Boog stuff, man. I oh. social Burlington Coat Factory shit. Hell yeah, but there was one thing I wanted to say about gauze real quick. Let's get um, it. So if we can go back. Okay, so, um, you know, there's a couple indications for using a tourniquet, you know, like bright, wet, bright red, pulsing arterial blood, like if blood is soaking through the clothes, um, if you're applying direct pressure on gauze and the blood is soaking through, like if you just keep piling gauze on and it keeps soaking through, yes, it's time to slap on that TQ. However, if you're going to use gauze to, as, as direct pressure, because direct pressure is like, really the second best thing you know and honestly if you're using a tourniquet you should use a combination of both here's the thing is that when you are using gauze right once you put some down and put some pressure on it don't lift it up like do not touch it uh, i know it's real tempting to kind of like peek under it and see if like it's still bleeding but here's the thing is that if that blood has started to clot up on that gauze and you rip it off like that you just open the wound up again and that stuff does kill people so fucking painful on top of that too well it's not totally stuck yet and plus like at that point the patient is um not thinking about that little bit of pain they're probably thinking yeah, about you're the- fucking digging in a wound with your finger trying to fucking find an artery. Oh. Yeah, I imagine. That. Well, that and they got a hole in them too. You know, that's the other thing. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah anyway. there's there's the other side of that. <laughs> so anyway, that was the that was the other thing I I did want to mention. I don't I think um, you know, like also like with, with those hemostatic agents, like they have <clears throat> excuse me, they have two different kinds. They have like the impregnated gauze, and they have like the old the old school was like this real rigid kind of unflexible dressing. Don't get that old stuff, man. Get the newer flex dressings. They're so much better. So anyway, let's talk some boog shit. All right. What you got? So, in your opinion, standard IFAC. Okay. On your plate carrier, your chest rig. What's how what's, what's that look like? How how beneficial is the standard IFAC for the boog? I think it's good enough for combat lifesaver, but obviously more substantial wounds you know what i mean you can only do so much with that so. yeah i've thought about that here maybe the best way to answer is that i'll tell you what i carry in mind um i i have i have two right and i just got them on a belt and i have them on the back like i just have this snap like these they got snap sticks on the back so i just put the snap sticks on my belt like my gun belt and i have two of them that i stick back there and in these two ifax i have i double up on tourniquets right so i've got four in total and they're all cats right i've got a swat t too along with that i've got the nasopharyngeal airway the mpa like your nose hose you know like that's pretty well tolerated by guys for the most part um even if they're awake like they're ambulatory <laughs> i have two chest seals right and 
I also have like an Asherman chest seal. That's the one that has like the stick in the middle of it, you know, like the hole for like, excuse me. So I also got 14 gauge IV needle, right? For needle decompressions. I got my combat gauze, you know, like just Israeli battle dressings and just the shit that came in it. Um, I also got a roll of Curlex, right? And this is this rolled gauze and Curlex is cool because it's like super, super compressed. So I had like this little roll of gauze and I could just like, unroll it like a fucking roll of toilet paper like you know got a ton of gauze for all kinds of things and that's the one thing you guys got to realize is that when you are treating people you know for medical for trauma you're gonna burn through supplies really fast and if you're trying to prepare like and, and you know get some stuff ahead of time and like be, be medically prepared like buy whatever you think you need and then double it because you will run through all that stuff so so quickly especially if somebody's really bleeding heavily and then I also got like an ACE wrap. Um, ACE wraps, you know, got all kinds of uses. You can, you know, you can stabilize a fracture with it, help, you know, make a splint. You can, you can use it as a dressing. You can use it a pressure dressing. You can pack a wound with it if you really had to. It's got multiple uses. Um, and I, I use one of those because it takes up less space than any other multiple combination of options you would use before that. And I've also got a, uh, you know, and also if you got to pack a wound, like with gauze, then you take that ACE wrap, wrap it around the wound, and then you can secure it and also put a little light pressure on it to keep it in place. And that, that way, if that dressing, that wound packing shifts around in the wound, you don't have to worry as much about it opening back up like we just talked about with lifting the gauze. Because that's also a consideration when you're picking up and moving somebody or if your fireman's carrying them, you know, and they have like a bleeding wound, like all that motion moving around, if it was like clotted up before, like you might knock it loose again. Like that, that is a consideration. So anyway, I also carry a roll of 100-mile-an-hour tape, right? Just regular fucking military duct tape. I keep that rolled up. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, if in your A-bag military, they'll give you a roll of like the nice 3M, like, you know, medical scotch tape, whatever the hell it is, that nice medical tape, you know. That stuff's nice, but number one, it's stupid expensive, right? And I'm poor. So there's, there's that consideration. And number two is that it does not stick that well when it's wet. And that's, a, you know, if you're dealing with blood, your hands gonna are going to be, wet. be, exactly, your hands going to be wet, the wound's going to be wet, all that type of stuff like that. I also, also in there, I got, obviously, I got multiple pairs of gloves, of course, because um, that's one thing, you know, like, combat wounds are very dirty. You don't need to add your dirt on your hands, you know, when you were just picking your nose 10 minutes ago and now you're working on a casualty or scratching balls or whatever. Like you don't want to add that dirt to them because especially in like a ice cream social grid down type situation, man, like infection is going to be a serious concern. So anyway, that's like my one IFAC and my other IFAC, I carry my other stuff and I carry a cricothyrotomy kit. So like a cricothyrotomy is like your cricoid cartilage. It's like right below your Adam's apple right here. And it's a way for you to get, it's a way for you to create an airway if the patient's airway is compromised. Like a lot of times guys have severe trauma injuries, severe, serious bleeding and stuff like that. They won't be able to maintain their own airway. It'll collapse, you know, and they won't be able to breathe themselves. And a cricothyrotomy is the fastest, most expedient way for severely compromised patients, like somebody that's got severe facial trauma might need it too. Like if they've got, you know, they got hit in the face with a brick or something like that, like it's a possibility. Um, I also usually have an LMA or an eye gel, which is like just a couple ones called it what's called an EGA, which is an extraglottic airway. Um, and that basically is, it's just a fucking tube that you stuff down, stuff down somebody's throat, you know, to provide an airway. 
and the other ones laryngeal mask airway which is like a, a less severe version of that basically these are like two more advanced airways that typically guys don't get trained on unless they're actually medics but um that's like the second uh that's like the second most i can't ever because there's like three sets there's like three sets of stats for very similar things but a compromised airway is like one of the higher causes of death. Like it's not the number one cause of death. That is, that is bleeding. It's a sanguination, like extremely bleeding, but it's, it's a, you know, it is a, a cause of death that, you know, you have to worry about in combat situations. And then I also carry um, a couple combat pill packs. <laughs> Don't make fun of me, Max. <laughs> but seriously, um, no, nah, they all have um, Mobic, Tylenol and a uh, antibiotic like augmenting or something like that. And here's the thing is that they found that like, if you can give number one, like you got some pain control. And I know like everybody wants to talk about ketamine is the hot thing now because ketamine is great because ketamine does not like, it doesn't interfere with respiratory drive. So like if you're, it doesn't mess with your breathing basically. So that's a big concern because all the painkillers are all depressants, right? They're central nervous system depressants, which means they slow your heart rate, they slow your breathing. These are two things that you don't want in somebody that has trauma. So the military has really started to move towards ketamine a lot because ketamine doesn't, doesn't interfere with these things. It puts people, we call them putting them, we call them putting it in a K-hole. So, you know, people get dissociated. <laughs> they, 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 they think they're having crazy dreams and shit, man. Trip it's a really balls on ketamine, dude. Oh yeah, uh, dude. People do some weird shit. Military giving people vitamin K now. I was listening to a podcast with uh, Kyle Carpenter and Jocko Willink. I don't know if you listen mm-hmm. to the podcast. Yeah, every now he was, he was talking about um, when he was, in the hospital or whatever, he was on ketamine and like they, they <laughs> nurses fucking like on fire and shit in the room. <laughs> but yeah, oh, yeah ketamine is supposed to be legit as fuck. So, oh uh, yeah, dude, that's that's I a hundred percent. If I'm going to give somebody a painkiller, that is absolutely my go-to. If I have it now, of course, I don't have it because otherwise I'd be all fucked up for this podcast, but that's another story. Dude, you get acid and pain relief all in one. Oh, yeah, dude. It's a shit. Let me tell you guys a quick funny story about fucking pain relief, right? So, Max, did you guys, did your guys Corman have the fentanyl suckers? Uh, I don't remember. I don't think so. So, we had these lozenges, right, that were like, a, they had like a little stick on them. You know, and it was fentanyl was a sucker, right? So we had that. We had morphine sulfate. We had the ketamine and uh, something else. I can't remember. I think it's a lot of maybe. I can't remember. So you had a couple of options for pain management. You didn't care all of them with you all the time. Party favors, <laughs> right? Well, you don't care with them all the time, no necessarily. You don't care. Damn it, you don't carry all of them all the time necessarily. So anyway, though, we had a dude. We were out in the field. You know, we were in training exercise, and we had a dude get hurt. Fucking, he broke his. uh I think he shattered his patella and he also broke his tibia. He fucked up. I mean, it was his leg was swollen up huge and he was fucking howling in pain. This new guy, he'd only been on it for about two months, man. This is, you know, he he hadn't even, you know, like he was still wet behind the balls, man. I mean, so anyway, I gave him a fentanyl sucker, right? And I, you know, I explained an injury, I set him up, you know, and we got ready to go, you know, fucking set up and get him out of there. And he, uh, I turn around like, and I'm talking, I'm talking to platoon sergeant. I'm trying to explain to him like what happened, like what I did and what's going on. And I hear, so I turn around, what the fuck? This dude was choking on the sucker. He had passed out with it in his mouth. So I had to pick this dude up and Heimlich him about five times. And he finally spit it out 
and he puked on my fucking boots and it was a, dude it was a terrible fucking day <laughs> so Christ, anyway the lesson here i learned is that i always took some tape and i taped the suckers to somebody's finger if i was going to give them one that's, that's pretty worth solid. Fucking, yeah. yeah, that's worth it. All right. <laughs> Definitely worth the duct tape right there that you're going to use to tape it to somebody's finger. Oh, for sure. So anyway, back to your guys' question here. That was That's like the main stuff I carry in my IFAX. I think that's a two IFAX, especially for the kind of – because there's some different considerations I'd like to talk to you guys about in, in a book versus like going on deployment, obviously. So – I think that's about all the materials you need to carry. And it's certainly a heck of a lot easier to carry two small IFAT pouches than it is to carry a whole aid bag or like a point of care kit or something like that. Um, and also here's the thing, right? So Max, you know, which is more efficient and which can get more shit done in an efficient and timely manner, a company of Marines or a team of six to eight Marines. Team of six to eight. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, like I think it, in Boog, man, like a team of six to twelve people is perfect. No bigger. Now you can coordinate with other people if you feel like it, but any more than that, you're asking for problems. Yep. So, <clears throat> here's the thing: is that before anything starts, like now is the time. Um, think about this, right? We're not going to have all the resources that we would have now in a situation like this. And just think about like the government can really fuck with a lot of shit if they want to, they would, you know, they could, they could, you know, every hospital is probably going to be under lockdown. It's going to have cops and military there. Most likely if you come in there with a gunshot wound, they're going to start asking a lot of fucking questions that you're not going to want to answer. Uh, so that's a huge problem. Number one, number two, like, you know, they can lock down all the CVSs, all the pharmacies. It could be very difficult to get prescription drugs, um, food, water, these type of things, uh, you know, knocking out communications, so on and so forth. Um, so that's, that's so always have your drug dealer, give him a ham radio. <laughs> Absolutely. Got to have the drugs on tap. He's got to share the devil's lettuce with you. <laughs> oh yeah so i do so, want to ask you a question and since we have all these resources available to us now would you recommend somebody get a whole bunch of gear get you know their tourniquets their fucking combat gauze all that stuff and then watch some youtube videos on how to get training or don't buy the equipment go pay for some good quality fucking training and then get the medical Which i mean if, thing kind of comes first. if you have to choose i would say Take the TCCC class first because having the stuff is half the battle. The main thing is knowing how to use it, but the real thing is knowing what to do. That's the main thing. And it's, it's one thing to apply a tourniquet on a dummy in a TCCC class. It's quite another to apply one to your friend who's screaming his fucking ear off while bullets are flying around you in 115 degree heat. As those are two different things, right? So, but if you've at least done it and you know how to handle the the, the you know this item, that's um, you know that's the thing, man. It's a toss up because the thing is like you really need both. <laughs> um, this stuff is pretty widely available, so I wouldn't worry too much about it. Like about it going away anytime soon. Um, a lot of it you can also improvise. I mean, you can improvise tourniquets. You know, obviously they're not going to work nearly as well as a real deal, but it is possible. Uh, however, other things like, like uh, tension pneumothorax, right? You know, people die of, of tension pneumothorax is the number two preventable cause of death in combat after bleeding. 
So uh, tensioning the thorax is really not that difficult to treat once you practice a couple times and all you need is a 14 gauge IV needle. But the thing is, is that unless somebody's taught you how to do it, like if you're watching a YouTube video and you're just kind of stabbing around somebody's chest, like probably not going to work out too good, especially because there's a heart in there, you know? So like that's a... You kind of need that. Yes, you do. In most applications, you need that. Absolutely. However, though, there are a ton of resources out there and there's a ton of stuff you can learn about the human body, about anatomy, physiology, about trauma from YouTube, from articles, from blogs, stuff like that. But here's the thing. Pretty soon, we here at the status quo, we're going to be writing articles and doing videos and sooner or later, hopefully sometime this year, by the end of summer, I hope to be up and running with some two triple C classes. Now, here's the thing. I'm not a cert. I mean, I, you guys know I went to prison. Like I'm not a certified anything anymore. So I cannot give you a piece of paper, but I do know a couple of things that I can teach you. So you're not going to walk out of there with a certificate, but you will walk out of there with some knowledge. So that is the one caveat in case people are looking for that piece of paper. That's not something, that's something I'm able to offer at this time, <laughs> but I'm working on getting my certs back. I should have them back hopefully before the end of the year or two. So I will actually be able to, I'm going to go actually go out and get the instructor like the TCCC instructor cert, so I can at least give people the piece of paper if they want it. Now, of course, my course is going to be way fucking better than anybody else's, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. So the knowledge, I think, if I have to choose, the knowledge comes first. Uh, most of this stuff is not that specialized and not that hard to get. However, there's a couple other considerations, though. Like, um, and I actually want to hijack your guy's show for a minute and get on my soapbox. Take it, take it, dude. Take the fucking wheel. <laughs> all right you got i'm driving this car you guys are just driving me now so anyway here's the thing is that uh because we're gonna have it you know something the big jumps off we're gonna have limited resources and ounce of prevention is a pound of cure right so that means today you know if you're out of shape get in shape if you have medical problems you know something you've been putting off get it taken care of if you're on prescription drugs Try to get off of them if it's safe for you to do so. If it's not, try to find alternatives. Uh, we tend to live life kind of a little loosely because we have this medical safety net. I mean, people eat like shit all the time and then get, you know, kidney stones or they have high blood pressure or whatever, and then they just go to the doctor. But because they have the safety net, like they don't have to worry so much about eating healthy and whatnot and getting things like muscle relaxers and, you know, like, you know, voluntary surgical procedures to correct things that that can be avoided with a healthy lifestyle so you know you need um you need to try to get yourself squared away as much as possible now but in the boob your life is going to have to change a lot you're going to have to make sure you're stretching and warming up properly you're probably going to be exerting yourself and doing a lot of things that you're not used to most likely so you know being in good physical condition is important safety but you know making sure that you stay hydrated that's a huge one um and uh, make sure you can eat right as much as possible, staying, you know, you know, keeping your nutrition up. Multivitamins become very critical because that makes you, that helps to ensure that you're getting proper nutrition because there's a lot, a pretty big chance you're not going to be able to eat, you know, fucking Chipotle, you know, or whatever twice a day and have something healthy, of course. Um, oh, that's way better, man. Easy. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And also um, medical herbs, like, you know, there's a ton of medicinal herbs out there that you can learn the properties of that you can use for all kinds of things. And actually, you talking about marijuana? that's one of them. 
No, for, for, <laughs> I mean, for real though, that, that really is one of them though. Like it's got a ton of medical properties. It's not something that I would discount. That's for sure. CBD so, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have things like yarrow and feverfew, basil, like there's a bazillion mm-hmm. of them. Uh, blackberries, blueberries is another one for inflammation. That's a pretty common one that people know. So there's that is that we have to make sure that we are doing everything we can to avoid getting hurt and getting injured because it's going to be harder and more costly for us to recover in the boot. Um, number two is you need to, you need to know and to understand uh, medical economics, I think is a good way to call it. And you need to understand how that applies to all the resources you have that you're not going to have a lot of and you have multiple uses for so that means things not only physical resources like god roll gauze ivs medications and these things like that which also i don't know if you guys know this or not but antibiotics you're definitely going to want to have some antibiotics um you can actually buy fish antibiotics you guys know that yeah i heard you said that on a podcast uh couple months ago wasn't it okay sweet yeah definitely um so that's like a, that's like a thing i definitely want to make sure people people know about the, the exact same pills um there's like a this couple they're the um i think joe and amy alton they're both like medical people one's a doctor they wrote oh i actually got right here they got the survival medicine handbook this yeah. is uh it's i don't know man i read it a lot of it stuff's like really really basic but i think for somebody starting to square one be really good for i think it's like yeah. 28 bucks uh and it's also got some kind of out of the box ideas for treatment so that you know there's definitely a lot of value in that book so anyway antibiotics is definitely gonna be a main concern because here's the thing we all tend to focus so much on gunshot wounds and ieds and getting drone bombed and stuff like that in the boog but that's not going to be the biggest danger like if civil society shuts down for any period of time, it's going to be things like bad water and dysentery. It's going to be the things that have killed people in wars all throughout human history, bad water and dysentery infection, you know, like stuff like that. It's going to be a very mundane things are going to suck the die from. And that's not as sexy as getting shot to death, but that's the reality of things. So, you know, making sure that you know how to, how to purify water. You can do that with bleach. Uh, bleach tends to go bad. You know, you can use that pool shock, like that powder, that pool shock powder. You can use that to um, purify water. That's uh, there's like recipes online. You can hell, you can go to like FEMA's website and find that out. So that's that's one thing. Um, dysentery and dehydration, you know, kills people all over the world all the time. Cholera does too, just like it's happening in Yemen right now. Like this huge cholera outbreak, and these people would survive if they just had access to IV fluids. That's all it takes. But you know, that's another limited resource. Like how many IV bags are you going to have? Like normal saline is prescription only. So you can have a hard time coming out or LR like lactated ringers. That's hard to come by. Hex is going to be hard to come by so on and so forth. So that's, that's another consideration. Um, another one too, some preparation that comes along with this. Uh, I would highly recommend everybody in your team. They may, they sell these little blood test kits that you can get. Or next time you get blood drawn with the doctor, I would make sure that you, find out your blood type and you record it and you see who matches up with who because in the military we have whole blood products we have fresh frozen plasma we have clotting factors we have platelets we have lactated ringers we have hexton we have all these different we have colloids we have all these different products we can use as either volume expanders or blood replacement well you're not going to have any, you're not going to have a lot of that 
in the boot unless you happen to find an unattended uh, ambulance or something like that. You know, and then you might be able to get your hands on a few of these things. So well, un- unattended, Look. unattended, allegedly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so instead, you, if possible, you should be able to transfuse blood between the members of your group and they make an there's an actual tool for this it's called a buddy transfusion kit and basically it's a way for you to take blood out of one person and put it in another however uh it's typically restricted to military purchases only so unless you are actually in a medical unit you're not going to be able to order them most likely um Sometimes law enforcement, they could buy them too. Uh, you might have some luck going to like trade shows or something like that where these type of things are sold at. But anyway, the point here is that you can make your own. I mean, like you can collect blood from one person and then put it in somebody else. It is possible to do. I actually was going to do a, I was going to do a video on building one because I got, I bought some tubing and some lure locks and stuff like that at my house right now that I'm going to try to put one together and see if I can duplicate it. Because <clears throat> that's the thing is that if one of your, one of your guys in your team needs blood, it's probably going to be the only way you're going to be able to get it to them unless you want to go raid the red cross. Cause you know, the fucking hospital is not going to be an option. <laughs> so knowing blood types ahead of time, knowing who can donate to who is going to be huge. Uh, that might see like I'm on negative. So I can give to anybody. But I can Universal donor. Take, I can only take from Oneg. All right. You're generous. So it's like, you know. That's why he's my friend. That's <laughs> In case you need a blood source. Exactly. Well, I'm, I'm a positive, so I'm, you know, I, <clears throat> I'm kind of limited both ways to not know as much as you. But So, you know, the other thing too is that, and I've actually kind of, when you guys first asked me to do this show, I've been kind of fighting with this question the whole time. Is that, okay, so all of our interventions in, in the military, in TCCC, they all center around getting your patient to the next higher level of care, to what we call definitive care, right? And there's a possibility in the Boog that your definitive care options might be you. So like, you might be at the end of the line. You might, there might not be any help coming. Now, it's not entirely impossible you know, for there to be other medical resources, but I wouldn't count on it. Cause I mean, if you get, you know, let's say you get into a, sh- a fucking shootout with the alphabet boys and one of your buddies takes a fucking three away in the leg, <clears throat> you can't take them to the hospital right after this gunshot, you know, after this gun battle. Cause they're gonna be like, well, that's weird. There was just a gunfight with these cops there. So, um, it's not a know. good idea anyways. Right, exactly. They feel like old days, put it, make him bite down on a stick and pour a bottle of fucking Svetka through his fucking gunshot wound. <laughs> That's not well, practical. I'm just shitting. <laughs> well, here's the thing is that, because I was thinking like, okay, so what's going to have to happen then is that people like me that have like a little bit of experience, I mean, it's just one deployment, but I mean, it's better than nothing. But people like me that have like some experience, you have to step it up, man. So I might have to learn how to do surgery, but that might be what has to happen. And uh, I'm not a fucking surgeon, guys. So well, you're gonna be quite, right. That's, so that's, that's the takeaway. You're gonna be a surgeon. You're ready. <laughs> well, here's here's a difficult question we have to ask ourselves: Is that is there a point there where you're gonna have to cut your losses and use your resources on something else? Because here's the thing: Is that like I can probably wow. amputate a leg. I think I could probably I could probably stumble fuck my way through. 
as long as I had a bottle of whiskey for you and for me, you know, I'm drinking a lot after that. But, um, the thing is, is that somebody that's got like a, like penetrating chest wound, you know, if they got a sucking <laughs> chest wound, like, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to do because they're going to need surgery and not only are they going to need surgery, they're going to need some uh, like probably thoracic surgery, like cracked chest open fucking like all the way, or they're going to need laparoscopic surgery. And that's going to require an OR and a sterile field and an endoscope and all these other things and these specialized skills that are not going to be available. So that's why prevention becomes so much more important because it's so much harder to undo these things once it happens. And that's why also stuff like making sure you got a good plate carrier is important. Making sure you wear it right is important. I see all kinds of people running around with plate carriers that it's fucking hanging halfway down to their stomach. On their stomach, you, yeah. You are wrong. I don't make the rules. But anyway, so that's, that's a serious consideration that I think we have to ask ourselves. Like how much resources – I think we have to be realistic and say like there's there might be cases where we can't really do anything for somebody on our team and I mean the best thing for them might be the humane solution so that's a real real consideration that I think a lot of people don't think about as uncomfortable as it is to think about I think we have to do it um, if we're going to be serious here and then the other thing too <clears throat> is that that's why like having a plate carrier that fits properly that has some good quality plates in it is very important because i mean you know if you take a you take a 762 nato and plate like you're probably going to be fine you know you're going to have a huge bruise but you'll be fine you take one in soft tissue you're fucked yeah you most likely yeah now now however like on the flip side more positive note. <laughs> Since yeah, I do this all the time, dude. I'm such a fucking dark one. I'm such a I'm such a fucking dark storm cloud, dude. Whenever I go on somebody's show, I'm just bringing <laughs> this fucking misery and depressed alcoholism with me. Like fuck me. So anyway, <laughs> so oh, anyway, here's the thing: is that the human body really is an amazing thing, and I think especially for a lot of us that are younger, healthier guys, the the our ability to recover from stuff is really incredible. So if you can just get somebody stable and get their body working on repairing the damage, there's a lot of times where it'll just do its thing. And I mean, you might not have like a hundred percent perfect functionality like afterwards, like you might have a limp or something like that. If you got shot in the leg or you might have some, you know, nerve problems with feeling sensation and coordination, but that's still like, that's, you know, that's the main thing is we might be able to, keep somebody going, stabilize them until their body is able to take over. Now, obviously there is a threshold with this, of course, but that is a possibility too. So, you know, a lot of our care might transition from stable from stabilization to like supportive care. So that's a, that's a, uh, that's another consideration, like knowing how to triage patients, like multiple casualties. That's another thing that people need to be able to do. And once again, like, rationing those products and, and like what you need to make sure that you can do the most good with what you have is important. So um, as far as uh, keeping antibiotics, great. What about keeping steroids to aid in recovery? Um, they Obviously, certainly, they certainly have their uses. I think any type of medication like that, that has multiple uses is definitely worth keeping around because steroids have uses also with infections too and inflammation, reducing swelling, stuff like that. So that's, that's another use. Um, certain, I uh, can't think of it off the top of my head, certain types of joint issues too, like steroids are useful for. 
um, any type of, if you have like any type of like chronic medical condition, making sure you're stocked up on whatever it is that you happen to have. Like if you like, say you're allergic to these things, making sure like you can get your hands on some extra EpiPens would be great. Stuff like that. Um, anybody else? Like also if like you're the medic that's responsible for your team, uh, I think it'd be a really good idea to sit everybody down one, one at a time or whatever and take a full history. Make sure you have all their medical histories, keep it in a file on your phone. And that way, like if there's anything that you need to prepare for or like make sure you're aware of, like you have it right then there, you don't have to worry about it. And that way, like if you have somebody on your team that's allergic to opiates, that way you're not going to, you know, you're not going to slam them with 10 milligrams of morphine and fucking make them, you know, go into anaphylactic shock and then have to burn up that EpiPen you've been saving. So that's a huge thing right there. And then also to, um, me and Pat were actually talking about this, and he made a very good point. Shout out to Pat. Uh, he said, in, in my opinion, some of the people worried about getting a gunshot wound uh, victim to the doctor and the boog probably couldn't carry me off the ground, off the scene anyway. So, you know, <laughs> solve problem A before you solve problem B. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, get off your ass. Don't eat as many cheeseburgers. If you can't run up a flight of stairs and carry on a conversation at the top, you probably need to fix that. Absolutely. And I mean, if you can't run a mile flat out, like that's a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. Physical fitness, cardio guys, cardio for sure. Physical fitness is number one. If you can't, if your body's trying to keep all these, keep you fat and keep you happy, you get shot. You're, I mean, you're not in a state of any kind of repair. You're you're just kind of fucked. You're just a fat tub of lard, and it's it's not going to end up too well for you. <laughs> hey, I'm just you know we're talking. <coughs> talking I'm sure about you, me. I'm sure no, man, I'm sure you've seen some of the pictures of the guys wearing fucking oh, like yeah. a plate carrier and oh dude four foot out and they look like they're about five foot wide. I know him. He's me, dude. <laughs> dude. Oh, not that fat, but. I went to a concealed carry class about. I don't know, about a month ago. And one of the range officers was a dude who was wearing a fucking plate carrier who was probably about 350 pounds and five foot eight. And he had this little 10 by 12 plate on there that probably didn't even cover his solar plexus, man. I mean, it was sad, dude. I was just like, bro, like, oh man. Physical fitness, guys. Physical fitness, it's number one. That man already had a plate carrier. He ain't even need that. <laughs> he doesn't need it like side sappies. That's that's nothing, man. That's he needs another work. fucking plate on either side. He's another. Oh no, no kidding, dude. His admin pouch is probably full of cheeseburgers or some shit. <laughs> but hey, when he gets shot and he goes down, you know you've got snacks. So fuck that. I know I got cover. Yeah, yeah, there you go. He's the biggest target. You know, you got cover behind this guy. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe you do want a fat guy on your boot team. I'm seeing a lot of advantages. What, bullet sponge? Yeah, exactly. Hide behind <laughs> this big fucker. I mean, I'm not advocating it's okay to be overweight or fat or whatever, but the instances where people have survived gunshots because they were on Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't count that as body armor. Or I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm still not advocating like – yeah. Everything's a trade off. To be a positive side, that would be. Hey, everything's a trade off. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, you get anything? Um, it's hey. It's still your floor. Take you the wheel, Matt. More, so. Take the wheel. Well, I think that's pretty much we covered the basics. 
as far as boo shit goes, man, that's about the all the considerations I could think of. I mean, we could we could talk more about tourniquets or you know tactical field care and stuff like that if you guys want to. I probably got another maybe 10, 15 minutes or something like that. Yeah, um, let me check my notes here. Let's see, um. All right, so I was uh, I get all of my medical stuff on North American Rescue. Good company. I mean, that's, yeah, that's that's what I've always heard is the best. They've got the best equipment. And they really do have really good prices too. Yeah. And nice. are you familiar with their like their combat casualty cards? Yeah, they're uh, feeder, casualty feeder cards. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. They're very so, similar to the ones the military uses. So you're a big fan. That's definitely something. If you don't know much, definitely stick that in IFAC. So you know, you at least have some sort of frame of reference for what the hell you're doing. Oh, I thought you were talking about the casualty feeder cards. They have like, the kits have like a blank card that has like a space for you to fill out the patient's information and what you did and whatnot. I thought I didn't, I, we were talking about two separate things. My bad. But I know what you're talking about now. Has all the instructions on it and shit like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's also um, that, uh, that uh, the um, Survival Medicine podcast. They have a store too and they sell a lot of medical supplies they put together kits and whatnot it's a doom and bloom.net and they have like a it's a really cool thing they're talking about they have like they have like a gunshot wound kit and basically it's in a sealed mylar package which oh by the way um a lot of conventional wisdom says that you can put a mylar like the emergency blankets on a gunshot victim or somebody that's going into hypovolemic shock like somebody's going into shock the problem is those this is my soapbox right here <laughs> i'm gonna stand on for a second the problem with those blankets is that they do not work for that type of stuff i mean it's better than nothing but here's the problem is that those blankets work by reflecting the heat that somebody's body gives off but if somebody's already in shock they're not giving off a lot of heat so it's really not that effective so you really need something heavier than that for a person who's going into shock, something like a big wool blanket or a blanket off your bed or something like that. I mean, it is better than nothing. So if it's all you got, run with it. But um, like a skull cap or a beanie is also really effective in these situations because you lose so much heat off your head. If you can put a skull cap on somebody that's in shock, that'll really help them uh, in the long term. So anyway, that's my big thing. I hear, I hear people talk about the Myler blankets all the time. Um, I don't put one in my IFAC because it's just not for what you've got. It's just not that helpful. Gotcha. That makes sense. So anyway, um, they have like a gunshot wound kit that basically you cut open the package and it has like these packaged like bags that are labeled like one through seven. And each of them has the steps, like they're all numbered in the order you need the things in them in. And like they have all the steps on them and whatnot. So like if you're really unfamiliar with the stuff, like that's a great way to go. Um, but to be completely honest, like uh, it's really expensive to train medical stuff the right way. But number one, you can always go hunting and not, not for people, but yeah. But like, yeah, yeah. And I'm I mean, not like, you know, allegedly. I'm, right. And I'm not advocating like torturing animals or anything like that. But like, if you went out, let's just say you went out and killed a deer, right? Now you have a carcass and let's say you have a scalpel and you want to practice doing a needle decompression. You can at least figure out like what it feels like to advance the needle into the chest wall, what it feels like when it gets to the lung area, like how a scalpel feels and like how it feels to actually 
cut open skin and stuff like that you know how how to do like different things that you really typically would have to pay several several thousand dollars to go to a course to so that's just one suggestion like um but as far as like most of the stuff in the medical field we practice on like anatomically correct dummies you know and stuff like that things that are specially made for like that okay so like when like in army medics like when we go through ait you have to do five cricothyrotomies and they have this like special dummy that is used just for that procedure. That's all it's used for. And I'm sure the military probably paid 20,000 fucking dollars for it because they pay too much for everything. So um, that's like a huge problem, right? So that's one thing that I'm trying to fight with. And that's one reason why I'm setting up the TCCC course because I want to find alternative ways to get people this training without having to spend nearly as much money. So that's one consideration. But the thing is like most of the stuff, like it's really not that technically difficult, I guess to say it's just a matter of getting the reps in. So that's the main thing. Know your equipment and know how to use it. That's yeah. And know why you're using it. Like know what yeah, you know do. how and when to use it. That's fair. So I guess the biggest question that I have of the night is when you were overseas and mm-hmm. tea for a while, correct? Say what? You were an EMT for a while, correct? Yeah, when I got back. Right. So what is, you know, in a combat zone and out of a combat zone, what is the most common injury that you treated? The most common injury I treated? I mean, just simply, it just cuts and bruises, man. <laughs> like, it's nothing exciting. Um, people, there's a million There's a million and one ways to get fucked up on a military base. Um, people, they're, I'm dead serious, dude. People Breathing. are... <laughs> Right. Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) Dude, dude. uh, Yeah. I mean, honestly, like everybody was sick for like the first month we were over there and everybody was like, Oh, it's the Iraqi crud. Everybody gets it. Meanwhile, like you're looking around and there's like giant black smoke burning piles of trash and every fucking military base. Like there's the fucking soot collects on everything. It's disgusting. So yeah. And that's when like everybody had upper respiratory problems. We all caught dysentery at one point in time. We all passed it around and gave it to each other. That was awful. I mean, we were all sick for about two weeks, you know, shitting and puking your guts out. You'd be okay. I'd be taking care of all these guys. And you'd be okay. You ended up giving it to somebody else, and then they'd pass it to somebody else. And we all ended up getting it at one point in time or the other. Um, but, like, lifting heavy stuff all the time, a lot of, mu- like, you know, back strain, like uh, back spasms, a lot of musculoskeletal injuries. There's vehicles all over the place, big ass vehicles, dudes can't see out of it, can't fucking drive them anyway. You know, people get hit and run over. I mean, it does happen, man, like quite a bit. Uh, you know, let's see what else. People are moving heavy stuff all the time and, you know, bumping into stuff, tripping, falling, whatnot. Then you have IDF too, like indirect fire. We haven't even talked, <laughs> we haven't even talked about like you know, the fact that these fucking bases get, we used to get mortared, you know, every day, more or less. A lot of them did. But even before we talk about that, just all the regular hazards of being on the military base, there's a thousand and one different ways to get fucked up. But certainly the most common one is like minor cuts and bruises, fevers, you know, muscle aches, like, you know, common cold type stuff, strains and sprains, fairly common. But, you know, so it would really behoove you to carry, like, say, some Neosporin and <laughs> yeah, in your fucking eye fact, because you might get a cut in the middle of no fucking where and doesn't get infected. 
God forbid you get a cut on your hand and a week later you got fucking gangrene. You gotta lose it. Yeah, I, I, I do think I do think carrying some like some back train or something like that and, and some fucking band-aids would definitely be uh would behoove you, like you said. But I mean, yeah, like there's you know, we got a we got a whole like a whole section in the eight bag just for like little band-aids and butterfly closures and neosporin and stuff like that, just like the basic stuff. Motrin and you know, we're always passing the medics are always passing that motrin to guys, you know, like, hey doc, can I get some ibuprofen? All right, dude, here you go. Like it's like half your job is passing out pills. <laughs> and sometimes I mean, <laughs> not, nothing fun like some of that stuff's like and like antibiotics and like anti-malaria drugs like quinine and stuff like that they would give people all kinds of you know it depends on where you are of course like if i don't you know not everybody if you're out in the desert you're not getting the malaria drugs but like if you're down south like you know in bosra or something like that yeah well, there's fucking mosquito bogs and shit then you might end up getting that but yeah i mean you know it's really it's, as far as like routine stuff goes just like just like being stateside honestly so it's it's honestly on the civilian side too man it's 90 here's the here's the one big similarity is that 90 percent of the stuff you deal with is what we call band-aid calls where it's like somebody calls 911 because they need a ride to the hospital or because their child has a fever of 100 degrees you know, or just like the most minor nonsensical stuff. Uh, that's what people call 911 for, for medical all the fucking time. The other 10% of that calls about on the civilian side, about 9% of those are cardiac calls and strokes and things that you can do zero about. I've been to probably, if I had to guess, I'd say probably about 100 cardiac calls in my career, my very short career. Uh, four of those people survived, you know, after their initial, Shit. like, you know, initial, like, asystole, like, flatline in the ambulance. Four of those people, we were able to bring them back. Three of them died within a week, and the other one died two weeks later. So, like, usually that's the type of thing. And that other, that other 1% of calls, those are where you focus all your efforts because those are the calls that you can really make a difference and you can really save somebody's life. But they're pretty rare, to tell you the truth at least in my experience. Now, disclaimer, I didn't work in the field that long. It was only a, it was only, you know, 6 years total. But that's the thing is that there's really not it's not like you see on, you know, fucking Chicago Fire or something like that, man. It's not this glamorous exciting job. It's like no, it sucks and you're working with a bunch of fat miserable people. Fair enough. <laughs> Sounds a lot like uh, everyday life for Yeah. Anyway, I mean, the hours are garbage. You know, a lot of times you're eating fast food in the truck because you're having to sit somewhere and idle, you know, for eight hours at a fucking time or something stupid like that. Um, your sleep gets disrupted. A lot, of, a lot of places run 24-hour shifts. Like, you're on for 24 hours and you're off for 48, something like that. And, like, that's a terrible way to, you know, like, that shit. Work a night shift, period, will, will kill you. You know, I, we know that because it, it's it's just so hard in your body. But that's the main thing is is that it's, you know, a lot of just stuff where people literally call call nine one one because the most mundane, ridiculous things. So stuff that cardiovascular um, health, guys, number one. Absolutely, for sure. And that's the other thing too, man, is that you may not believe how many times that you know we had to go help another squad for a lift assist. 
you know, cause we're dealing with a patient who's 500, 600 pounds. Like happens a lot, man. And, uh, remember we had this dude who fell getting out of his bathtub, who was 450 pounds and he lived on the third floor or he was on the third floor of his house, which had like a spiral staircase going from the first floor to the second floor. And we're all just kind of looking like, dude, how did you even get up here? <laughs> <laughs> like, how, how did you walk up here? <laughs> we're going to take out this wall, right? And we're just going to lower you down with a pulley system is how the fuck we're going to get you out of here. Oh, God. There's, <laughs> dude, there is literally houses where they've had to do that before. They had to literally put a hole in a wall. Get some out of the house. Crazy, yeah, it's absolutely. I'm telling you, man, it's absolutely insane. And like, there have been all these tools developed in our field now. Well, it's not my field anymore. Developed in the field now because people are so fucking fat. Like, we have these bariatric carts that have a little like motor, like a little uh, like a little four wheeler battery on them, and they have like an electric motor to actually lift the cart up and down, like the gurney, because. That's the one thing is that there's so many disability claims for paramedics and EMTs that have messed up backs and hips because they're lifting extremely fat people, heavy people off the ground. Um, it's crazy, man. That's the one thing like your back, your back dictates how long you can stay in that field. So, uh, yeah, man, like it's a real health crisis and it's nuts. There's like, there's these like hover board type things it's like actually hovers like off the ground that you can slide somebody on and you can basically kind of like kind of hover them like on the floor crazy stuff that um, wild as fuck. yeah that, that people are using to to help ex all these extraction tools to get extremely heavy people like out into the hospital it's nuts man <laughs> mcdonald's is an epidemic guys oh for real no kidding all right um, well, I think we've pretty much talked about everything medical so. that and related and you know, everything else under the sun that we could this episode. So. Well, I think we certainly got a good start, you know, and there's plenty to go on for next time. So that's um, right. First off, I just want to thank you for coming on and hanging out with us, especially for us being a newer show and you being a little bit more further along, obviously probably a lot more further along. Um, ah, no, nah, this is fun, man. I'm glad I got a chance to talk to you guys. You're sh you guys are, you guys are going places, man. This show is, you guys are hot shit right now. Seriously. Appreciate um, it, man. Yeah. Appreciate really do appreciate it. Um, appreciate all the shout outs and stuff. Every time you listen, that's awesome. Uh, I guess just to let everybody know what you got going on, where to find you and all that kind of stuff. Sure. So my name is Matt. I'm the host of the status quo podcast. We talk, uh, it's a libertarian show. We talk about, politics we talk about current events war and peace government uh military events issues things like that you can find me on twitter at statist and that's s-t-a-t-i-s-t -T -T, quo pod and you or you could shoot us an email the status quo at gmail.com and our website is the fuck Oh my God. <laughs> English is hard and so is memory. I get it. And words. Yeah, and words. words. The status quo. <laughs> oh my God. I cannot remember the name of my own website. Um, okay. So that's where you can find us. That's home base. All of our episodes are there. Every single um, show notes episode we've ever done is listed there. Uh, any blog posts and articles we've written over the years have been posted there and coming soon medical articles videos and hopefully training dates for too long so come check us out yeah um so you got anything is um 
just you shout out the Twitter and I'll do the Instagram. Okay, so we are uh, at Campfire Freedom on Twitter. And on Instagram, we are Campfire Freedom underscore fighters. And if you want to shoot us an email, it's campfirefreedom at gmail.com. So uh, that's it. And guess the fuck what, everybody? Today, officially, as of 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we are on Apple. Hell yeah. iTunes podcast. I can finally delete Spotify. I'm telling you. Everybody. Everybody has been requesting. Good. Um, That's it. That's all I've got. Thanks for tuning in, coming and hanging out with us tonight. It's uh, midnight where we're at, so we kind of got after it a little bit late, but. Oh, well, it's a good talk. But we're good. That's all I got, man. Sure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, man. See you.